Hello folks, Gary Washburn here with the 18th edition of the Washburn Files podcast, talking Celtics and NBA and oh boy, I mean, I don't even know what to say. I mean, since we last talked, so much has happened and I'm not even talking about on the floor. The Celtics have been eliminated from the playoffs uh, losing in five games to the Brooklyn Nets, going down in game five, 123-109, a game that they really, they, they tried, but Brooklyn's just too damn good, too much talent. The Celtics lack talent, Need uh, definitely need some uh, reinforcements on the bench, and we can talk about all that. But then, the morning after the lost, all hell broke loose. Danny Ainge, longtime general manager since 2003, helped build the 2008 championship team, helped build um, the championship team or the team that went to the 2010 finals, made the trade uh, that turned the franchise around in terms of getting the picks that that were able to get Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and making that uh, daring move to move Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and Jason Terry to the Nets and kind of restarting and rebooting the franchise. He retires and is replaced by none other than Coach Brad Stevens. So now we have two major situations going on. The Celtics coach leaves and their general manager leaves. Brad Stevens will be in charge of all basketball operations. Isn't that something? Uh, We've viewed him as a coach. He's been the coach the past eight years, has led the Celtics to the Eastern Conference Finals in three of the previous four years before this year has had great success, but didn't quite reach the pinnacle of the in the goal of reaching the NBA Finals. The best chance was in 2020 in the bubble when they are the third seed. They faced the fifth seed Miami Heat, but yet lost the series in six, was pretty much outplayed through that series and had a lot of their weaknesses exposed. But in this situation, You know, he comes back, has a disappointing year, you know, and there was definitely a fire Brad contingent of Celtic faithful who thought that Stevens should go. But instead, he gets bumped up. Um, I guess it's the opposite of getting fired on your day off like Craig did in Friday. You get promoted when you could have potentially lost your job. But the Celtics were never going to fire Brad Stevens They were going to make adjustments, even if Danny Ainge stayed. I think there were going to be adjustments to the front office, to the coaching staff, and obviously on the roster. But um, now they've made major changes in terms of needing a new president and filling that role with Brad Stevens, and now the search for a new basketball coach. The situation with Ainge, um, you kind of felt... Like, and I can't say, oh, I knew he was leaving. I knew he was gone. He's just been kind of, for me, and I've been hard on this team this year. He's been deliriously friendly with me this year. Kind of like, hey, what the hell, Gary? Why what the hell do you want? You know, I don't care, man. I'm out of here. You know, there's been kind of a, a delirium with him a little bit. Kind of like he's been really happy. And I think, honestly, he knew this was it for him over the last couple of weeks. Just seeing him at games having short conversations with him, he obviously knew this was it. He was, he was going to walk away. And 
you know, it's understandable. Ainge is 62 years old. He's had two heart attacks. He had a heart attack in 2008 and then had a heart attack in 2020. That's very serious stuff, folks, as you guys know. And we all want Danny to be around a long, 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 long time. So if this is health related, because it's stressful, it's stressful now. I think more than ever, the job of an NBA general manager is stressful because one, you have to, you got to produce because with social media and everyone's an expert now, everyone is an NBA expert. Everyone feels like they can do your job better than you. The media, the fans, everybody can be a general manager. Oh, if you move here, you know, you you have these, uh, you know, computer apps now that allow you to manage salary caps so you can make trades and make deals on your own at home. You can figure out who to move for who. So everybody thinks they can do Danny's job better than Danny. That's a that's a pressure and it's all around the league. And, you know, the NBA is is a league now that is very much scrutinized by analytics, by analytical experts, by also people at home. The, the everyday fan who feels like, hey, I can be GM of the Celtics. I can sign this guy. You know, it's a tough job. <clears throat> and I think that when you look at Danny, he's been grinding and doing this a long time. And I think he probably felt like, you know what? It's time for me to step away to figure out what I want to do with, with the rest of my with the rest of my life. And you know what? I can leave it to Brad because Brad has a desire to build a roster and become team president. And in terms, and Danny leaves with a great legacy, one of the great GMs in Boston sports history. Did he get it done in the last 10 years? No, in terms of a championship. Um, one title, one title appearance where they lost in game seven. And honestly, folks, I think that game seven loss really turned the tide of the franchise. If the Celtics win that title, if they win two and three years, I mean, you're talking about dynasty potentially. You're talking about a lot of different things if they pull out that game seven. But instead, the great Kobe Bryant, um, you know, he went six or 24 in that game, but he went to the free throw line, made some plays, Ron Artest with the three-pointer, just a lot of things. Perk was hurt. Perk, Perk had a you know, torn ACL game six. If he plays in that game, is it different? I always think, and I know I'm getting off topic here, but losing game six, 89 to 67, not showing up for game six. They go to, they go to L.A. Remember back then, folks, it was 2-3-2. Two, two. They go to L.A. with the attitude of we got two games to win one instead of, you know, um, you know settling down and trying to get game six. They kind of mailed it in in game six. They scored 67 points in that game. Perk got hurt. And in game seven, it was, uh, you know, anybody's ball game, and they end up losing 83-79. And after, after leading after three quarters, that's an ugly game. But if they win that game, okay, folks, and they get two titles in three years, Ainge's legacy is different. The big three's legacy is different. And let's be honest, like, they probably make some adjustments and, and go for it more. And maybe the big three doesn't get broken up. And maybe Ray Allen doesn't leave. We all, you know, we, we it's all speculation. But in the last several years, the problem with Ainge 
in my opinion, and I'm one of those guys who <laughs> I don't think that da- I can do my job better than Danny, but I do think he hoarded the draft picks that he got. He held on way too long. He, t- he took some guys and it didn't work out. You know, we can look at the R.J. Hunters. We can look at Gershon and Yabuselli. We can look at, look at Ante Zizek, who ended up being thrown in a trade with the Cavaliers. Uh, we can look at James Young. You know, there was just too many guys who just didn't pan out because the reason why the Celtics rotation is so thin is because they never were able to draft capable players to make up a good bench. Like, let's be honest, like Gershon and other guys like that were supposed to make up your bench. And R.J. Hunter, and then you traded or you let Terry Rozier walk. That was a strong draft pick. But Danny hoarded those draft picks and then didn't really score with them outside of Tatum and Brown, right? I mean, that's the unfortunate part. Now, he came back, I thought, this year with a solid draft with Neesmith and Peyton Pritchard. But you'll take more heat. <laughs> and This might not be his fault for trading that first-round pick, that 30th pick away to Memphis, basically giving it away for two second-round picks. Memphis, Memphis takes Desmond Bain with it. And so the Celtics could have had Desmond Bain who ended up shooting like 44% from three this year, solid, ready-to-play rookie. Um, or the other kid that Memphis drafted early in the second round from Michigan State, the big bruising brother, um, Xavier Tillman. They could have drafted him. Because, you know, he was available at that pick. You don't think they could have used another big, another rugged big man? But I think all in all, Ainge finishes on top. I mean, not at the pinnacle, not a championship, but finishes with a job well done, bringing the Celtics back to prosperity, digging him out of being, you know, one of the laughing stocks, which they were in the early 2000s. You know, unfortunately, a lot of tragedy happened with Obviously, we, we can go to Lynn Bias and then Reggie Lewis, and then just suddenly the organization kind of drops, until, and then he hires Doc Rivers, and they go through some tough times. But he gets the big three, and that starts a really impressive run over the last 13 years of the Celtics making the playoffs in 12 of those 13 years. I think any organization would take that, right? You They had one lottery year where they took um, – uh, Marcus Smart, remember with the sixth pick, that was the year that was after Brad's first year. They made the they went to the draft lottery because they they went twenty five and fifty seven uh, in his first season. So people will wisely have a near five hundred record. Well, remember, folks, they he went thirty two games under five hundred in that first year when they were in total rebuild mode. I mean, they were playing, you know. Uh, Keith Bogans and I think Chris Humphreys and they were just throwing you know uh, Gerald Wallace they were just throwing guys out there and and, and preparing and, and rebuilding. So I think Ainge wanted to step away. You know you hear rumblings that he's going to resurface somewhere, maybe with Utah, maybe in a consultant role. I just don't see him doing this GM thing uh, full time anymore. Ainge has kids, he has grandkids. You know, he has a son that run for, ran for public office in Utah. His son, Austin, still works for the Celtics. I mean, he's got a huge family. And it's time for him to smell some flowers, <clears throat> hit the golf course, and 
you know, maybe be a consultant with the Celtics, if not maybe another team. But I don't see him taking this uh, general manager's role um, anytime uh, soon with any other team. Now, was Brad Stevens the right guy to take the job? That's an interesting question. I will say this. I sensed that Brad wanted to have more say in personnel decisions throughout the season. He did, you know, he's not one to drag his team out through the media. That is not his game, but you can tell that he definitely had issues with this roster. And I'm sure him and Danny had plenty of disagreements on who to bring in, who not to bring in, why you why'd you sign this guy, why didn't you sign this guy, etc. And so now Brad gets to run a team. I think that if he did not um, get bumped up, he was going to ask for more power in terms of the roster building. What did Bill Parcells say uh, about a coach not being a GM? You know, if you get the groceries, you know, you want you want to be able to pick the groceries. You don't want to just have a, you know, your president hand you some groceries and go, okay, make a great dinner. You want to be able to choose the ingredients. You want to be able to pick the produce. You want to be able to pick the players that make up your roster. And I don't think Brad wanted a president slash coach position. Like, you know, that's failed in many cases. The Celtics, you know, ownership said, hey, that's not something we were interested in. For anybody, it's a big job. Stan Van Gundy tried to do that in Detroit. You know, getting fired. He wasn't a good GM. Remember in the early days with the Clippers, Doc tried to do that too. One of the reasons why Doc left the Celtics was because he got more power with the Clippers and instead that didn't work either and he ended up giving his job as president to Lawrence Frank. So if you're the Celtics, I think it was a smart move. If you're going to give this to Brad, let him do it. Let him see what happens. I think he's a knowledgeable basketball man. Well, he Does he know how to deal with agents? Does he know how to deal with... With, with these guys who, you know, only view him as a coach? Does he know how to negotiate? Does he know how to negotiate hard? What will he do with the roster that he has? Like, will he get rid of half these guys because he didn't, in, in reality, really didn't think they were a fit for the Celtics? That could be the case. I do think, I think what's underestimated is Brad's cutthroat uh, mentality and attitude. Brad will say it in the nicest way. But he'll tell you if you're not getting the job done on the floor or you're out of the rotation, he'll tell you nicely. He'll pull you into his office. He'll be private about it. But he will tell players, hey, I don't think you're getting the job done. I don't think you're cutting it. And so I don't think he'll have any issue with breaking ties with players on this roster. I don't think that that's any issue with him. And I don't know who it's going to be. You know, we can go through the roster you know, okay, you know, but let's first talk about Brad's hiring of a coach. Brad's got to hire a coach. He's got to hire his replacement. And believe me, when I tell you that his cell phone is probably already blowing up and he's probably already fielding calls and text messages from interested guys who, or, who want this job. Quality candidate. This is a plum job. Okay, first thing, the season's ended and there's been no coach fired, okay? All the lottery teams, none of them fired their coach. That's a, I can't think of a time that's ever happened, okay? There's been no NBA coaching changes. 
from Charlotte to Minnesota to um, Sacramento. Remember, Sacramento said they're going to bring Luke Walton back. You know, there's all these teams. Houston, they just hired Steven Silas last year. They're not going to let him go after a year. He didn't have anything to work with. Um, you know, Pop is still in San Antonio. You know, you've got Toronto. Of course, Nick Nurse just won a championship a couple years ago. So there's been no coaching changes, which means there's a plethora of candidates out there looking for a good head coaching job. And this is the first one that's opened up. Who knows what will happen when the playoffs end? You know, uh, will Rick Carlisle retire? I've been throwing out there. No, I have no source to that. But what is going to happen with um, – some of these guys, you know, what's going to happen with these coaching moves? The fact is, is that we don't know. All we know is, is that there's one job open. So that's going to be, and it's a plum job. You're going to a team. It's not a lottery team. You're going to win or should win and be expected to win next year. Okay. You got two top 15, top 20 players in the league, debatable with Jalen Brown, but Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, okay? You've got uh, the, the the contract to Kimball Walker. You've got a young um, up-and-coming center in Robert Williams, if he can stay healthy. There are reasons to like this job. And two first-round picks in uh, Neesmith and Pritchard, who came off solid rookie seasons, right? right? And now you give them no... I'll be sorry, you give them summer league and a full training camp. So they're going to be really prepared. Then you got the 16th overall pick. The Celtics, um, you know, have a mid-first-round pick. There's supposed to be a deep draft. We'll see what happens there. This is a plum job. This is what a first-year coach wants. So let's look at some candidates. Two, I think, stand out quickly is – Chauncey Billups and Sam Cassell. Billups, a former Celtic, hard to believe that Rick Pitino traded Chauncey to Toronto after 51 games. Could you imagine that now? Could you imagine a lottery pick like Chauncey was being traded in today's NBA after 50 games? I mean, what does that say? Like, you didn't give this kid a chance. He ended up being... Uh, a borderline Hall of Fame player, NBA champion, Mr. Big Shot, a big time player. And, you know, it's just astounding to me. I know I'll be, I go off topic a lot. Just astounding how Patino gave up on him in 50 games. And I talked to Patino a few years ago and he said, of course, he regrets it. He regretted it. Okay. But Chauncey is now, you know, has always had. Aspirations to get into management after his retirement. He, he did a little commentary with ESPN and the Clippers. Uh, there was talk of him being a GM in Denver and, and a couple other places. And now it's like, well, he knew he had to pay his dues. So he became the uh, assistant coach with the Clippers. Okay. He's assistant coach. So he paid, he's paying his dues now. Okay. He's on the sideline. Is he ready? Second, Cassell, assistant with the Sixers, was with Doc in, in, in the Clippers. Cassell seems like he's ready. Cassell, 51, 52 years old, has not had a chance yet. You know, knows the players, is hip, 
cool cat, a dude who I think could relate greatly to Brown and Tatum. Same with Cassell. I'm sorry, same with Billups. Because here's the thing, guys and gals. You got to have somebody relate to Tatum and Brown. You got to get them to reach the next level. Okay, because they're not quite there yet. You want them to become super mega stars. That's the goal. To have those two together. You, you see you see Brooklyn? You see what they're doing? You got Harden and, and, and Durant, and then you got Kyrie. Now, say what you want about Kyrie. We can talk about him later, but he is a superstar. So is Durant. So is Harden. The Celtics already have two of those guys, potentially. You got to bring the best out of them. You got to relate to them. You got to tell Tatum, hey, man, you need to work on this. And to be honest, like, I'm going to need you to do this. Okay? The same with Brown. I think Cassell and Billups will be good at that situation. And I'm almost certain that they both would be interested in, in the Celtics job. There's no reason not to be. Why wouldn't you want to coach this team? As I mentioned, two all-stars, okay, a potential quality, you know, cornerstone center, Robert Williams, who can stay healthy. Now you got the issue with Kimball Walker and Marcus Smart, all that, but let Brad handle that. You got a core here that's a playoff team easily next year and, you know, with the right moves, a, a, a team that can get to the finals, okay, with the right moves. I didn't say that's going to be easy. Now, let's look at some other, you know, Ime Adoka, assistant with the Brooklyn Nets, who sat there for five games and watched what he probably uh, thinks the strength, see the weaknesses uh, of the Celtics as the Brooklyn assistant. He's a guy, you know, he had a solid, you know, kind of a, you know, NBA career as a reserve, didn't, you know, wasn't near an all-star, but you know, played in the league, played with Portland, played with the Spurs, then uh, is under Pop's coaching tree. We all know uh, Greg Popovich's coaching tree is, uh, you know, has produced some winners, produced some coaching stars. And I think that he wanted more responsibility. So he went uh, to Philadelphia for a while, worked with Embiid and Simmons, and now is in Brooklyn. He seems like he's ready. Now, I would say he's more of a long shot if Billups and Cassell are interested, because let's be honest, both of those guys have Boston ties. Both of those are big names. Cassell played here on the championship team in 2008. He won two other titles. He is a guy who is just kind of a natural-born leader. And Billups is a guy, all-star, perennial, uh, I said borderline Hall of Famer. You just look at that guy, and you know what he's saying is right. Commands respect, okay? And both of those guys paid their dues. They didn't go, and that was the thing that people were talking about Steve Nash. They didn't go straight from chilling with the family to a head coaching job like, like Steve Nash did in Brooklyn. Both of those guys have paid their dues, are paying their dues being NBA assistants. Assistants under players or under coaches that they may, you know, have more knowledge than. But Cassell is a guy who I think is, is ready and so is Billups. Billups has one less experience as an assistant, but I think he knows the game. He knows players, you know, and I think Brad Stevens, and I'll say this about Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens is a very open-minded dude. He has his ways. He looks like 
I, and I joke like this. He looks like the guy when you go to Target and you buy a picture frame and there's already a picture of the All-American family in the picture frame. Well, that's Brad's family. That's his wife, uh, Tracy, and his two kids. They look like the All-American family. Brad looks like the All-American guy. He looks like your dentist, your lawyer, your optometrist. He looks like that guy. But he's a very open-minded man. He's a very, you know, accepting person. And I think he's going to go outside of his box in this hire. You know, I've heard the name Chris Holtman, um, the Ohio State coach, who was a former Butler coach. Uh, I don't think Brad, unless, and I'm going to throw a name out here, folks, unless it's Jay Wright, Jay Wright of Villanova, who just has the look of an NBA coach. It's dripping all over him. And I think he's probably, after the two national championships, now he could be like, hey, he could be like Krzyzewski. Remember, a long, long time ago, Krzyzewski, before you young kids write this down, he had a chance to coach the Lakers, and he turned it down. He just said, you know what? I don't know if I'm ready to make that jump. I'll just stay at Duke, win more chips there. And he did. Now he's retiring. Okay, so... Jay Wright might say, you know what? I love all these guys. I've sent a bunch of dudes to the NBA. I know NBA players. I know the talent. I've coached all these guys, Kyle Lowry's, Sadiq Bay's, um, you know, plenty of guys, Eric Pascal, but I think I should stay here. But the Celtics, that might make him uh, think about it. And I definitely think he would be a viable candidate for this job if he's interested, I think that's something he would look into. He just has the look. It's a perfect time. Remember, he was just elected to the Naismith Hall of Fame. He's a Hall of Fame coach at the college level. What's left for him to prove? He won two chips in three years. He brought Villanova back from those rolling Massimino days, which those are fun times. And those that 85 championship and we had Pinkney. But he brought that program to the even higher uh, levels over the last couple of years without really, I'll say this, like a super, superstar at the NBA level. Like, you know, who's the best Villanova guy on those teams? Pascal, like there, or it might be a guy who, who isn't even in the NBA. It might be a guy playing overseas, like the best player. You know, DeFantinjo, is he the best player? You know, there's, there, you know, he has done, Great things with great, good talent, but not Kansas, North Carolina, Duke talent, you know. Um, and so you got to give him credit. So I think if he is interested, he'll get a shot. And let me bring up a couple of other names. Carol Lawson. You think, Brad, you think this is a joke? It's no joke. He really respects Carol Lawson. I think the Celtics lost a lot when she left for Duke. I think that he she bonded with a lot of the guards. She was on her way. And obviously, you're not going to turn down a chance to coach Duke women. It was her first college job. If your first college job is Duke, you'd have done pretty good, right? So it was not a surprise that she took the Duke job. But I think she liked the NBA. Brad left her alone. He let her work. She, she was a sponge in learning. She worked with the guards. I think the reason that Quite honestly, like a guy like Carson Edwards didn't t- make that jump, Kara wasn't there. He he was really starting to develop 
in my opinion, under Kara Lawson, I think he took a step back, obviously. We'll talk about that later. But Kara is someone who I think is going to get an interview. She's interested. Now, would she leave Duke after a year? And remember, Duke opted out of the season. Kind of a controversial move since the NSA went forward and Stanford won a national championship. And you had a bunch of teams who weathered the storm and went through the season. Duke opted out of the season. So we don't really know yet what kind of coach Kara Lawson is, right? So would she leave under the circumstances? I, I think the university would understand if it's the Celtics job. But she might say, you know what? I didn't promise these kids I recruited I was going to stay here. Why? I, I can't just bail out of on like that. And obviously money's an issue too, let's be honest. But, you know, I do think she'll interview. Okay? And would, would Brad t- make the bold move of hiring the first female NBA coach for the Celtics? I think if it's the right uh, candidate, hell yeah, he would. Is it Becky Hammond? I don't know about Becky Hammond. I think there was a reason why, in in some cases, when Pop left, he left Tim Duncan in charge as an assistant and not Becky Hammond. Um, it, you know, I, I'm hearing things that that it might not, she might not be the coach that people think she is. And I'm not ripping her. I don't know. It's just what I'm hearing. Okay. Um, and then I'm going to throw a name out there and nobody talks about it. And she probably won't be a candidate, but Don Staley, like Don Staley's coaching team USA this year. Um, you know, if we're talking about Becky Hammond and Carol Austin, why not Don Staley? You don't think Don, Don know how to coach. She got championships. She coached Temple. She coached South Carolina. Um, she is a frontline, amazing coach. She deserves some consideration if she ever wants to jump to the NBA. But there's other candidates. Lloyd Pierce. Lloyd Pierce is a guy, I know Lloyd personally. He's a great guy. Um, He paid his dues in Philadelphia. I don't know what happened in Atlanta. Like, it's such, it's inexplicable. Like, Nate McMillan is a great coach. And boy, has he turned the Hawks around. And it makes Lloyd Pierce look even worse because it just, it was so dramatic, the change. And now Atlanta's in the Eastern Conference semis. They're probably going to get Philadelphia a good series. We can talk about that later, too. But Lloyd, I think, is one of those guys that's, you know, he didn't say one negative word walking out the door in Atlanta. He's polished. He's only 44. You know, some guys get it on their second and third jobs. Does he deserve a second chance? Yeah, and remember, folks, he worked with Brown, Tatum, Smart and Kimba at Team USA Basketball in the World Cup. He was on that staff. So he has personal relationships with all those guys. Okay. He's a real social justice activist. I think that does, that definitely helps his case. And I also think that he's a, a darn good coach. He just got in a situation where guys probably didn't listen to him. And is that a, a, a black mark, you know, a negative in his candidacy? Yes, it is. I'm not saying that. That shouldn't be taken into account. What happened in Atlanta? I think that now that he interviews or any job, that's probably one of the first questions that teams are going to ask him. Hey, Lloyd, what happened in Atlanta? Why did suddenly they turn into the team that they were supposed to be when you left? And that's he's got to answer that. But I do think he's a quality candidate. 
But I think he's probably behind Billups and behind Cassell. Now let's go to Jason Kidd. Jason's an interesting guy. Um, you know, I'm a Cal guy. I'm, I met Jason Kidd. <laughs> he probably not remember when he was a sophomore in high school. And he had an obviously Hall of Fame career. His coaching has gone a little bit. You know, he had uh, got the Brooklyn job right away. And then that didn't completely work out. Then he got the Milwaukee job and they kind of fired him on a whim. And, you know, Budenholzer has taken him to another level, but it's not like the, the Bucks have won a championship or gone to the finals. He's taken him, he's elevated him, but it's not like it was one of those, you know, McMillan things or just drastic improvement. Like, would this team have progressed under Kidd? Maybe so. Is Budenholzer the right coach for the Bucks? We'll find out over the next uh, couple of weeks when they uh, face the, the Nets and if they can get to the finals. But Jason has a reputation of being a guy who has, you know, been gotten political a little bit in some of the jobs. Um, you know, the Milwaukee situation with Larry Drew where he kind of, there's speculation that he was kind of trying to lobby for the job when Drew was still there. I don't know these situations. I just know that's his reputation. He's got some off-the-court issues over, you know, that happened about a decade or more ago um, that probably would be tough. It's going to be tough for him to get that third job. But he's an assistant with the Lakers, and I think he's comfortable, and he wants to know this is the right move. He's not going to just take any job because he knows – that if this is his last job, this is probably his last chance um, to coach. But do I think if he's interested, would Brad talk to him? I think, of course, there'll be a conversation. So, you know, there's there's other candidates. There's Nate McMillan has not signed an extension with the Hawks yet. You would think the Hawks would sign him to a a multi-year contract, keep him and keep it moving. But we don't know. That has not happened yet. And I'm sure maybe they'll negotiate after the season, but we're still at where Nate is a free agent next year. Um, Darvin Ham, a Bucks assistant. He's a guy that, you know, he, he had a solid NBA career. For me, my memory of Darvin Ham, um, and you can YouTube this, is breaking the backboard against North Carolina NCAA tournament. He played at Texas Tech. And he, I mean, you know, you ain't going to step to Darvin now. Darvin is a, a big, strong brother. And back then in college, you could just imagine the kind of beast he was for Texas Tech. And he literally broke a backboard uh, in a tournament game against North Carolina because he, he put the hammer down on a dunk. And he has paid his dues. He has been a longtime assistant. He's been looking for his opportunity. Now, he doesn't have carry the big name, and I think that hurts him. I think, and let's be honest, like, unless you're bringing in a real home run candidate, you got to have somebody with a name. You know, you, I mean, eight years ago when the Celtics hired Brad Stevens, people who knew him because he had coached Butler to two national championship games. It wasn't like he was an unknown. It was just shocking that at 37 years old, 
36 years old, that Brad was ready to make that NBA jump. People thought Brad was going to go to Duke or Indiana, North Carolina. Like he was going to get one of those blue blood jobs. Like that was his next step. Like, okay, he went straight from mid-major to the NBA. So I don't know if Ham has that big name that you would probably want in your hire, especially if you line him up against Billups and Cassell. I think it's those two guys' job to lose if they're interested. I think whoever else interviews is going to have to win the hell out of the interview and convince them that he is the man or the woman. She is the woman for the job. Um, So I think that there's, you know, there's other guys I'm sure are going to apply or who, you know, and it could be a current NBA coach who's ready to, you know, depart from his job. We, We don't know, but there's plenty of opportunity for Brad to open up his mind and hire the right candidate. I think that he is open to going outside of his box. And remember, okay, there's other guys who okay, can, there's, you know, Jay Larinaga, if you want to order for, uh, hire from within the staff. Jay Larinaga, he was a finalist for the Charlotte job before Jay Zarego got it. So he's close. Um, he didn't get the job, obviously, but he was in the final interview. He interviewed twice. I remember him going to Florida. Uh, to meet with Michael Jordan and interview him there in his home, one of his homes in Florida. So he was close. He just did not get the job. Um, and then Jerome Allen, uh, a good guy who's been around a couple of years now. He's been looking to be a NBA head coach. He had a couple of, he had a stint in the NBA with the Timberwolves, played at Penn, uh, played a, a long, uh, solid career overseas. So he'll be a candidate also. Um, and to me, I think it goes down. It's down to those, those people that I just mentioned. Um, I'm sure there'll be candidates coming out the woodwork. I'm sure that they will be um, a dark horse candidate, maybe a college coach or current NBA coaches I mentioned who appeared secure or didn't want to, you know, wasn't going to leave, but then was enticed by the Boston job. Um, so the Celtics don't have to rush to make a decision. Okay. I, you know, this is not college. They don't need to get on the recruiting trail. The draft isn't until July. So if I'm Stevens, I'm making, taking my time, making the right decision, interviewing if it has to be Zoom or in person, or let's say the first interview is Zoom and then the next interview is in person with ownership and management, whatever you got to do. But if I'm Brad Stevens, I am taking my time with this position and I'm going to make the right hire. And what kind of hire do we do the, do, uh, the Celtics need? The Celtics need, need a coach that can relate to the players. And there's another name I didn't mention. Jawan Howard. Okay. Long-time NBA player, long-time NBA assistant with Miami. Wanted to interview, wanted to get an NBA job, and then a Michigan job opened up as alma mater. He's a member of that Fab Five. He took Michigan uh, to the Elite Eight this year for losing to UCLA in his second season. He's had success. Would he jump 
and leave Michigan um, for a position in the NBA. And I know um, there was, a, I think, an NBA position open, and he was like, hey, I'm not interested. I'm staying in Michigan. Um, don't even think about it. So uh, I don't know how lot, you know viable that is to have a jo- uh, Jawan Howard, but he's definitely someone who can, uh, I think, interview well and do a good job. I think he's a good coach. Now, uh, it all depends on whether he's willing to leave Michigan, just like in terms of Jay Wright, whether he'd be willing to leave Villanova. Okay? Um, and, and I just think that, to be honest, um, this is Brad Stevens' biggest decision. And it's his first one. It's his first decision. And he needs to make the best decision and take his time and interview all the candidates and figure it out. The good thing for the Celtics is there's no other jobs open right now. So it's not like, hey, man, you're going to let me know if I got this job because Memphis or, you know, Milwaukee or Detroit is uh, wants me to hire coach there. So make a call. There's not a whole lot of pressure for Stevens to make a move right now. Now, when the season ends, will we have a coach resign? Will a coach part ways amicably and mutually with a team? We don't know yet. Okay? Like the Washington situation is interesting to look at. You know, uh, the GM did not give a, a, you know, endorsement for Scott Brooks. That could be that job could be open. We don't know um, because Brooks obviously the Wizards lost in five games. They were besieged this year by COVID. Hard to hard to uh, put you know count that out. That was a very big factor for them. Also, a lot of injuries. You know, Thomas Bryant out for the season. One of their young emerging centers. I mean, they they, they had a lot of issues with injuries. They got it together, finished strong, made the playoffs. You know, I don't think you fire or let go of a coach who just made a playoff appearance when, you know, but when they signed Russ, that they were supposed to be a real playoff contender. So the question is, well, is that what you expect? And did he underachieve? Well, you know, we'll find out whether management thinks that, obviously, in a couple of weeks. But if you look at the other uh, teams in the NBA and other jobs, they're all they're pretty much all filled. Right. I mean, Orlando's hold on to Steve Clifford, um, Indiana situation with Bjorken. Who knows? But they haven't made a move yet. So that job isn't open. Detroit just signed Dwayne Casey to an extension. Cleveland endorsed J.B. Bickerstaff. Billy Donovan finished his first year with the Bulls. Um, the Thunder coach is still there. I mean, he just finished his first season and they were in total rebuild. Uh, Minnesota hired Chris Finch during the last season. You know, we, I, I mentioned Nick Nurse in Toronto. So, honestly, there isn't a, you know, a lot of jobs open at all. The Celtics is it right now. And maybe Washington. Okay, now we don't know what I said before with, the, with, with, with some playoff teams, you know, and uh, – coach might step down or retire or whatever, but for now, this is it. 
So there should be a plum amount of candidates for this job. And Brad Stevens has to take his time and make the right move. And then you also need to diversify the staff. What I what I blame Danny for was the good old boy network. He had his same old guys in his front office, his son Austin, Mike Zarin. You got to bring some fresh faces, some new blood, some new voices. Okay? You got to make – I always thought Paul Pierce would be a good g- choice to be like an assistant GM. And obviously, Paul's got some time now uh, with the ESPN thing not working out. But would he want to live in Boston or could you work out something where he could live, you know, half time in L.A. or come to Boston on occasion but still make his home in L.A.? I think that that could work out. But what you have to do is you got to diversify your staff. What you have to do is you have to bring in some new face, new voices and people that Brad doesn't know made very well. You know, you got to have some opinions because I'm sure there's plenty of people around the league who have their thoughts on what the Celtics need to do to get better. And you need to ask them. You need to ask them, you know, I always remember it. I brought this up earlier, watching the movie The Greatest, where uh, Muhammad Ali was so great. Muhammad Ali was so great that he did his own, he acted his own autobiography. On t- he did his own movie and a- acted as himself. Okay? That's how great Ali was. There's no one else. And, and I don't want to hear no Will Smith. Okay? Will Smith did an okay Ali, but Ali is the best at playing Ali. And I remember he was fighting Foreman, and he had one of Foreman's sparring partners come into his camp and just tell him about what they thought of him, what, what Foreman thought of Ali, and what Foreman, you know, and he, he brought in someone from the outside to say, what do y'all think of us? And that's what the Celtics need to do. What do you guys think of these guys? How do you guys, what do you, when you come into a game against Boston, what do you think is, what do you say? Like, hey, just hang in there. They're going to give up a lead. They're a bunch of front runners. Go at them at this situation in the pick and roll. Go at Kimba because they're going to, they can't stop it. What do you guys think is our weaknesses and how can we fix them? You need some fresh voices in there, okay? Consultants, assistant GMs, whatever. Uh, if you if if Brad wants to keep the job as president and then name someone a full time general manager, that's another topic. He can add to the staff. They need to add to the staff. There's too many just like guys who have been doing it the same way for many years, and to me, that's why they have slipped so much in terms of drafting and talent evaluation. Because people want to blame Brad Stevens for all of that what went down this year. But look at that roster. Do you realize that five of the 17 players on the Celtics roster this year were from the class of 2019? Tremont and Taco, Carson Edwards, Grant Williams, and, and Romeo Langford. Okay. Romeo, I think, showed himself well in the playoffs. He's a guy you hold on to. I think he can be a rotation piece next year. Grant, you never really know. I think offensively he regressed this year. He's just kind of a bruiser, a guy who can make some plays defensively at times. But um, 
I don't know if he's if he can expand. He's not going to grow, so he's always going to be an undersized five or four. Can he become an NBA starter, or is he just like a bench guy? Probably the latter, a bench guy. And, you know, Carson Edwards just didn't work out. I think the Celtics thought when they drafted him that he was going to be kind of a mini you know, Isaiah Thomas, a guy who can light it up from outside, score score buckets, you know, come in, boom, 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 be that kind of microwave guy. It just hasn't worked out. He's a shot, he's a shooter who doesn't make shots. And then RJ Hunter was the same way. Like you wanted RJ, he's a good kid. You wanted him to succeed because he worked hard. He just never became a shooter. He never could become that 40% three-point shooter. Because that should be Carson's role, to score. Didn't work out. So Brad's options were limited, and that's Danny's fault. And they need someone to come in and be a better talent evaluator, whether it's a college scout, someone who knows these guys, knows guys overseas, who can say, there's a dude in France or there's a dude in Turkey, you need to get, take him. Or there's a guy on the Turkish national team who's looking for an NBA deal, bring him in. Sign him to a two-year deal. Not the Vincent Poirier's or Victor Favarani's, not those busts, but guys who can actually play basketball. Okay, that's the problem. The problem is Danny slipped in that category. You know, the Vincent Poirier thing is, is just inexplicable. Like, they brought him in, and they knew from training camp he couldn't help them. And you got it, and you signed him to a two-year contract. This ain't Daniel Tice. Daniel Tice worked out. But Poirier, you sign him to a two-year contract and he can't play. And where is he now? I don't know. I don't I don't think he's in the NBA. I think he got waived. I think he's out the league. I'm sure we'll likely see him in the Olympics playing for, for the French national team, but he's a guy who quite honestly, wasn't an NBA player. And, you know, it reminds me of Gershon, where Gershon was like, I just couldn't imagine scouting him and saying he's an NBA player. I just never saw it. He's big, he's 6'8", but he couldn't be, a, he's not quick enough to guard threes and he's not big enough to be a four. So it's like, okay, you got to be a dude like a like a to me like a James Johnson who becomes like a jack of all trades play different positions work on your handle hit the three like James Johnson was kind of in that category but then kind of resurrected his career by losing some weight getting real serious and focused and turning himself into a quality reserve right and maybe you could have done that with Gershon but you didn't have that much time and Gershon's out the league, too. You know, all these guys are out the league. Jordan Mickey, like these guys the Celtics thought were going to be the answer. And, and I'm, talking, I'm talking about second round. And second round picks are real, you know, needle in the haystack in terms of picking the right one. But, you know, they've, you know, I would say Shimmy for a second rounder has been a solid, that was a solid pick. He, he stayed on the roster. He made the team. He's, he's had his moments. That's what you want out of a second-round pick. You're not always <laughs> going to get Manu Ginobili or Draymond Green. It just ain't going to happen like that all the time. But 
if I'm the um, Celtics, I think that Brad has to diversify the staff, add some new voices, a former player, and a former player with some with some um, with some stripes, who's played the league that these guys know. The key, the whole key here is getting into getting to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, and that's your coach. But you can also have a, a guy in your front office who can reach out to those guys too. And maybe, you know, Allison Feaster should get some more decision-making in, in the organization. She's been around two years now. I think she's been a real asset to the organization. Maybe it's time to get her some more say in some roster decisions. She knows the game. She's a Hall of Famer at Harvard. Um, she played the WNBA, played overseas, like <laughs> – she ain't no slouch. Look at her. Look at her resume. Google her. Look at her Wikipedia page. Alza Feaster ain't no joke. So maybe she deserves some more say in the organization. But the diversity has to happen. You can't keep going with the same guys who keep doing it. And I think, you know, I think it's in a sense for Celtic faithful it would be good to maybe have a fresh voice besides Danny. Um, I don't know what Austin's going to do. I'm sure Austin. Wants to keep his job. He's young, you know, Danny's son. But the Celtics have to do some things against the grain a little bit differently. They, I think they tried for years the, the same formula. I think Danny got way too attached to his draft picks. He used them all. Remember, that he's supposed to package all these first rounders for Anthony Davis or Kawhi Leonard. It didn't work out that way. And so he ended up using them all. And if you're going to use them all, they got to work out. They can't be, it can't be this year. You, you, you can't grasp at straws by signing Jabari Parker because no one on your staff um, can fill his role, can fill that role. because Your staff, your roster can fill that role because you've drafted poorly and Brad doesn't trust the guys. That can't happen. You know, and your two-way guys, you got to have some ballers in your two-way guys, staff, players who can actually play. Not this, like, super project in Taco Fall. I think it's been fun for Taco, but I think the Celtics have to move on if they find a two-way player who is um, capable of, of helping them this, this coming year. Because Taco, I think, has done as good as he can. Because I was looking at Boban – Against the, in the, in the, against the Clippers, you go Boban, Bojanovic, he plays for the Mavericks, he's 7-4, kind of a, you know, similar to Taco, he moves better than Taco. Like, Boban doesn't jump at all, but he moves better. And Taco, I don't know if you can teach him to move better, to, to jump out on screens and to, to, to get himself quickly, uh, away from a screen on a pick and roll and maybe, you know, at the rim. Like, I don't know if you can teach that. I think they've done wonders with his mechanics, his fundamentals. You know, he's gotten in great shape, but I don't know. And I don't know whether it's enough to hold on to him for a third two-way contract, third year. I think Tremont Waters, you know, he's tried. I think he has maybe NBA potential somewhere, but – I kind of see him as like a Cameron Payne type where it might be in the G League or it might be uh, with a lesser team that, that 
Tremont gets some quality minutes and starts turning himself into a consistent, capable NBA player. I wouldn't give up if I were him unless, you know, there might be money overseas. And maybe he goes overseas for two years, you know, picks up some some dollars and then comes back to the league at 24, 25, maybe more polished, more confident, more physically prepared for the league to whereas, you know, he can contribute. It was a nice shot. He was the 51 first overall pick, but. I think it's time to cut ties with both of those guys um, because it just hasn't worked. And you need roster spots are valuable. And you can have one or two guys that don't play, but they got to be able to play. Like, that's why, you know, the Celtics kind of gave away Javante Green and, you know, but yet kept Carson. You know what I'm saying? Like, Javante was actually playing. So it's a lot that needs to happen over the next couple of weeks. Um, I was shocked by the decision of Danny Ainge to step down, but not as surprised in hindsight, because I think that he was getting tired and this whole, like, do I really want to go through this, you know, going through the luxury tax, figuring out who to do, uh, how to spend this money, what money to spend, how to use this trade exemption, you know, or would I rather play golf and be with my grandkids. You know, playing golf, being with your grandkids sounds a lot better. Um, so I think Brad Stevens has a lot of work ahead of him. First is hiring a coach. I think obviously it's going to probably be over the next couple of weeks, but he doesn't have to rush. But I think there are a lot of good candidates um, for that position. And I think that Brad is open to looking outside the box. I don't think he's going to hire Brad Jr. as – the, the coach. And if he were like, let's say a Chris Holtman were like, he would literally have to knock their socks off in the interview. I think the Celtics are going to decide on a guy who has watched them organization for years, knows the organization has maybe been around it a little bit and can tell you, listen, this is what they think of you. And this is what we're going to change. And I also think they need to, figure out about their strength and conditioning staff. I mean, the Celtics fired Ed LeCert, longtime trainer, trainer during those those glory championship years because guys are getting hurt, and Avery Bradley especially. But as we've learned, Bradley is just injury prone. He can't stay healthy. But they kind of, you know, they changed their conditioning staff, and guys are just getting just as much hurt as when LeCert was there. And, and and Robert Williams is a guy you got to concentrate on. You got to figure out why he keeps getting these nagging injuries, and you got to figure have him figure his body out so he can play seventy games next year and make a try to make an all defensive team. And then the whole thing with Kimba, how did they manage his knee? Was that the right way to manage his knee? You know, he comes all the way back. He says he feels good. Then he gets a bone bruise. We don't know what's going to go on with Kimba's health, but that's an issue that that Stevens has to address. Does he try to trade Kimba in the offseason? Does he put him on the block and go, listen, we'll take two bad contracts back, or we'll take a we'll take someone else, you know, we'll, you know, do you call Glover City and try to swap him for Al Horford, who's in the final year of his deal, and obviously would opt in because he wants that money, and then he returns to the Celtics and and do you do that? You know? 
Does Oklahoma City go for that if you throw him some incentive? Like, you're going to have to figure out what to do. Or do you let him get a whole off-season's arrest and hope that he comes back fully healthy and back to Charlotte Kimball? But there's so many questions to be answered, um, and we will talk about more of this next week. Thank you uh, for joining us on this uh, elongated version of the Washburn Files. I want to say God bless and farewell to Rick Bonnell, a uh, longtime Charlotte Hornets beat writer, a guy I literally saw last month in Charlotte. We always talked basketball every time he came here with the Hornets or I was down in Charlotte. A good guy passed away unexpectedly at 63. Um, you know, when you do this job as a beat writer and a national writer, whatever, and you look, you know, it's kind of a, a fraternity, a sorority, you know, combined. You know, it's a brotherhood, it's a sisterhood of people who cover the league, who love the game, who do this because they love the job. And we all, you know, live in our respective cities and have lives, but we all go into their each other's cities and say hello and how you doing? And, or, you know, Rick might say, hey, try this new restaurant out here. Or I might say, you know, suggest a good Italian place in Boston for someone here for the first time or whatever. And you grow to, to like these guys and build relationships and friendships and that's what I did with Ricky. He was a good guy, and it's, it's sad to see him pass. And God bless him and his family. Farewell, Rick. Um, and, you know, farewell to, to all pe- people who have, you know, succumbed over the last few months. It's been a very tragic year and a half, and I'm sorry about that, folks. But uh, hopefully we can, um, you know, just talk some basketball, get your mind off uh, some of the difficulties of life, and we can, you know – talk all about the new coach and new players over the next couple of months. So thank you, folks. Thank you for listening to this version of the Washburn Files. We will see you later. God bless. Uh, if you still feel comfortable and want to do it, please mask up. Be safe out there. We're not out of this thing yet. We're getting there, but enjoy yourselves. Have a great sports week. Goodbye. <laughs>